you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Thanks, Pat. Uh, Good morning, everyone, uh, including those online. As Pat said, my name's Andrew, and uh, with my wife, Catherine, uh, we've been coming to City on a Hill East for a few years, and before that, we were at uh, Melbourne. So good to be with you this morning and to do the Bible reading. Um, As we know, we're starting 1 Peter, so no surprises. We're starting 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 12. So if you'd like to get your Bibles open, we're going to read 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 12, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Can you see with me standing right here in the middle? It's all okay? Great. Okay, here we go. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Andrew. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we? Good. So good to have you back in church this morning. Good to begin the year in earnest. And we're going to begin it with this new series in First Peter. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Nick. I get the joy of being the lead pastor of this church and the joy today of opening the scriptures with you. And today we launch into this new book, which you might have noticed is not a uh, lengthy historical narrative. It's not a massive Bible passage where we've got to kind of pick and choose what we're going to be able to fit into the time that we have together. It is a letter. And so because it's a letter, it would be awesome for you to have a Bible on your lap. 
or a Bible that you can look at as we walk through it, because we're, we want to be close to the text uh, today. Uh, so this, it is going to be on the screen, but whether you're at home or in the room, we'd love to have a Bible. So if you need a Bible, we want to give you a Bible, so feel free to put it in your hand right now, uh, and our welcomers will get one to you, uh, and we'll make sure you have a Bible to look at as we go through it. Let me pray for us as we begin this new series. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that this is not just speculation about you, it is revelation from you. And so we pray that we might hear from you today, that we might understand you in a new way, that we might enjoy the grace that we have in the gospel of Jesus in new ways, and that we might be sent out from here uh, prepared to live for you in new ways. Lord, you are a loving Father. You give good gifts to your children, and so would you give a good gift to us today to be able to see you and to see Jesus as big and as beautiful as He really is, so that He might make a difference in our life, we pray. And all God's people said together, Amen. Well, first things first, we are in church, and so it is good to have confession time in church. Who here wasted too much time over the last two years trying out new TV shows on Netflix or whatever streaming service here? Anybody wasted too much time? Not many of us. If you're online, feel free to respond as well. You can put up your hand in your own living room. You guys probably have a second screen open right now looking at something else. We're on to you. We're on to you guys. Uh, But the Coombses are guilty. We wasted too much time uh, trying out new shows and not even kind of in lockdown. That's not even the excuse that we have. We wasted time this week watching uh, a movie and it was on Stan. Now, all the, all the bad ones are on Stan. Does anyone, anyone agree with me? I don't even know why we have Stan. I think we have it because Jules loves Grey's Anatomy and it gives access to Grey's Anatomy. But this one was on Stan and uh, we decided to watch it because it was dystopian. The trailer was gripping. It was enticing. Uh, and so we recently watched the movie Gold starring Zac Efron. Uh, now, I'm conscious that whenever I mention Uh, something from pop culture, you all take it as a recommendation. This is not a recommendation. Consider it my priestly duty to have gone before you to (laughs) sacrifice two hours of my life so that you don't have to. Don't waste your time. But there is something profound in this movie that is very helpful for us to consider as we enter into this new book, this new series in 1 Peter. Because gold is set off the back of social and environmental breakdown, and it follows a couple of nomads, of whom Zac Efron is one, and they are traveling through the outback, the inhospitable outback. And on their way, as they are on their their travels, they just happen to stumble upon the biggest gold nugget of all of human history. It is protruding from the ground. And so they just imagine how far below the surface, this gold nugget goes. And so they desperately start to try to pry it out. It's no good. And then the other nomad, not Zac Efron, agrees to leave and find an excavator while he is left to stay and guard it. And so Zac is left to guard it with his life because this is his ticket. This is his future. This is his treasure. And so the rest of the movie is Zac Efron alone in the desert, guarding a huge gold nugget. He sets up camp. He fends off strangers. He's determined to do everything it takes to protect his new precious possession. And as boring as it sounds, 
and it is. The movie starts to expose the human heart. What would we do? How would we behave if we happened upon something so precious, something so transforming, something so future-proofing in our life? How might it reshape our priorities? How might it shape the way that we interact with with other people, our relationships? How might it uh, skew our moral compass as we did everything and gave everything to protect this treasure? You see, the reality is that, that what we find most precious will dictate all of these things in our lives. Where we find our home, where we set up camp, it all gravitates around what we most passionately want to protect and preserve. And so these are the questions, and this is why I bring it up, these are the questions that 1 Peter is going to ask of us. What do we find most precious, and where are we going to find our home? How should that shape our lives today? And so we're going to be in 1 Peter for the next 10 weeks, 10 weeks through 1 Peter, and this this idea is going to come up a lot, because often in in these letters, they they start uh, how they end. Peter's going to bring up the big idea that's going to continue to shape the rest of the book that he's written for us. And so cast your eyes with me, uh, as I said, to the Bible. If you've got paper form, that's great. If you've got screen form, that's all good. Uh, Come with me to 1 Peter 1, verse 1 to 12, uh, and we are going to dive into this. Uh, When I was in Bible college, when I was uh, in, in university studying essays, you know, the classic wisdom for how to write an essay was tell people what you're going to say in the introduction, say it, and then tell people what you've just said. In the conclusion, this is kind of what Peter does. Uh, some ancient letters were kind of formed in a similar way because he brings up what he's going to say here in the intro that we are going to look at today. There are three paragraphs, and so our uh, the, the talk today is going to kind of move through the logical flow of the text to find out what Peter wants us to say. So let's uh, get into each of these paragraphs. Uh, before we do, you should know Peter was famously Jesus's right-hand man, and so he was an apostle, someone set apart by Christ to be one of his leaders with him. And the impression we get of Peter from the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that Peter was a lovable, loyal, relatable man. Peter wasn't so well put together that he was a bit too far from us and unrelatable. No, he was a, he was a rugged fisherman, and he often had the propensity to put his foot in his mouth. And so when we meet the Apostle Paul, he kind of like sets his credentials out, you know, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, I trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Peter's like, uh, I caught a fish. He is a, he is a, a working class, uneducated guy, but his heart is in the right place. And so this book, he's, he's writing in the, the early to mid-60s, during the reign of, of Nero, and at the time there wasn't any kind of state sanctioned persecution against Christians, but there was a, a growing social pressure. I was watching a movie, uh, another movie, with my, my three-year-old daughter uh, in Canto uh, this week, and the, the rating for that movie is PG because of a mild sense of peril. And that's, that, that's kind of what the Christianity felt like for the Christians in the mid-60s AD. That there was just a, just a mild sense of peril. The people who had signed up to this new Jesus movement, which had been growing over these decades, they were now getting kind of weird looks about how they related to each other, raised eyebrows about about priorities that they had. They were 
on the receiving end of, of, of local harassment. And there was a sense that, that what was now mild would start to grow stronger and stronger. And so Peter is writing to them to try to show them how to live in this environment, try to point out to them how to, how to live in an environment like that, an environment actually that sounds a lot like ours. One commentator about the book says that it is the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith. And if you want to go somewhere to see what a Christian needs to look like, you go to 1 Peter. And so it's going to be very helpful for us in our own day, with our own sense of of social pressure about being a Christian, about what it might look like for us to live faithful to Christ today. Uh, So let's dive in to it, and we're going to start looking at the first paragraph uh, that we could summarize with the two words that Peter uses, elect exiles. He says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so we immediately get who the letter was written to. It is written to, and Uh, We should highlight, underline, if you've got anything you can do to put arrows towards these people that Peter calls elect exiles, elect exiles. These are people spread out throughout what we would know today as modern-day Turkey on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. And they aren't Jewish people, they are Gentile people, which is essentially the word for everybody who isn't Jewish. But Peter links them with the people of God of old, the Jews. And he does it by combining these two incredible concepts, elect exiles. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about what it means to be an exile. If you've read the Old Testament, you know, a lot of it is about uh, warnings of, threats of, and then kind of renewal in the midst of exile. The Old Testament uh, people of God were given the promised land, but because of their unfaithfulness, because of their idolatry, because of the way they turned away from God, God had them be captured, be, be brought into exile, taken from that promised land, taken from the the, the sense of identity they had about who they were as God's people. And so they became strangers in a foreign land. And they felt far from home. And the promises of God felt, felt distant, felt stretched. And their exile wasn't just a change in postcode, it was very much a, a spiritual dislocation. As Jesus, as God taught them a, a spiritual lesson about the need to find their true home with Him. And so while they were in exile, God had a lot of things to say to the people about about turning back to Him. But He also told them how to live in the midst of exile. And Jeremiah tells them to to seek the, the best, seek the good of the city in which they were exiled. Pastor J.D. Greer makes a helpful distinction about being an immigrant, being a tourist, or being an exile. Many of you will have heard before, and I don't hope it doesn't uh, hit those of you who haven't too hard, uh, but I was actually born in New Zealand. And so I packed up the house and led my family over to the Promised Land when I was one. Uh, we moved to Australia. And so my family, and this, I'm sure there's many, many families in this room who were and are immigrants, moved into a new country, a new city, new accents, and we made Australia our home. And like any immigrant family, we tried to... Uh, get entrenched into the culture of Australia and we eventually became citizens. And so my parents bought a house, we got educated, we started buying snags at Bunnings, started calling togs, boardies, Uh, we made community connections and links uh, and 
now when Australia plays New Zealand in anything other than rugby, I am Australian. In an immigrant mindset, this is what happens. You, 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 be, you take on your new home. You get so immersed that you become part of the nation. The nation. And at the same time, I've also been to other countries. I've been to uh, Thailand and France and Italy and the US. Uh, but as I've traveled to these places, I didn't travel as an immigrant, rather I traveled as a tourist, kind of fly in, enjoy it, and fly out. And so an immigrant wants to make the place they're at their new home, a tourist wants to just visit. When we visited Thailand a couple of years ago, it took about, we were seven days in to, to a 10-day holiday when Jules finally discovered that she had been uh, greeting every Thai person in Indonesian and not in Thai. And it's like that when you're a tourist. Kind of the language of the, the place is confusing. The concerns of the city, they, they don't really concern you. The history of the, the country is, is interesting, but it's not personally meaningful for you. You're just kind of looking on TripAdvisor for the best ice cream, the best tourist attraction. You're, you're kind of staying in your resort until you have a, a tour kind of working for you that, that curates the experience you want to have in this new place, and then you fly out again. And what Peter says here is to these Christians that, that well, they aren't immigrants. Don't get too comfortable. But also, you're not, you're not tourists. Don't just pretend that you're not there and be detached from the culture. No, rather they are exiles. The world is not our home. And so we shouldn't get too comfortable. Don't get too worldly. In your priorities, in your worldview, in your attachments. But at the same time, don't be too detached. Get involved. Love your neighbor, your actual physical neighbor. Seek the best, seek the good of the city. And so like them, Peter calls us exiles, elect exiles. This is where that, that, that first word becomes important. Election is this incredible idea, this incredible biblical truth that, that God in eternity past chose who would be His. That not because of anything we'd done, not because of any qualification we met, but God chose who would be his people. And so to be an exile is to know that your true home is somewhere else, that you are a stranger, you are, this, is, this, is, this is foreign territory. And Peter's telling these people on the, the outskirts, the backwards of the Roman Empire, he's telling them, as nervous as they are, as dealing with, with the social pressure as they are, that while where they are right now is not their home, God, their Father, has chosen them to be his and that therefore their true home is in heaven with Him. They are elect exiles. And then he goes on to, to talk a little bit more about what they look like. He says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. For he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so he's saying that, that they were elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God. That the, it was before time even existed, before the creation of the world. God foreknew people. God looked forward. God chose people before all of that. And he chose us that, that we would be set apart, that we would be sanctified in the Spirit, to become more like Jesus, more obedient to him, to be cleansed by him, sprinkled 
with His blood. And so we should, all, we should know this, that if you are a Christian today, if you trust in Jesus today, it's because God has, has chosen you. God has gifted you with faith. And even though you are now a, a stranger in the world, a sojourner in the world, as our series calls it, an alien in the world, as, as Peter says later on, actually, our true home is with God in heaven. Strangers in this world, yet chosen for another world. And as we're going to see in the weeks to come, this, this has incredible implications for how we should live in the world that we're in as exiles. We're in it, but not of the world. That whatever kind of setup we have at home right now, whether it's apartment living, whether it's home house living, whether it's uh, you, you, you own it or you're renting, effectively, actually, all of us are renting. That all of us are here for a, a temporary time as we await our home to come. It, during lockdown uh, six, uh, Jules, I and the family, we, we were able to uh, move. And it was a good move for us because we were kind of living in an old folks' home kind of setup. It was a small unit and we've got a growing, you know, two kids, family, they're growing up, they need more space. Uh, and praise God, he provided. Uh, we were able to move into a different, we rent, into a different rental, uh, which is which more of a house. And so less of an old folks home, more of a, a standing, freestanding house with a backyard, importantly, that the kids could play in. And as soon as we moved into this house, you know, when you become a, a middle-aged man, there's a few niche things that you, you kind of try to, try to master. And so there's some men in this room who, who will have mastered the, the meat and smoke barbecue kind of niche. And then there's some other men who have kind of got the, the, the cars niche. And then there's other golfers. And then there's those of us who are into lawn maintenance. And so now I had a backyard. And so I was diving headfirst into the lawn maintenance middle-aged man niche. Uh, and so I got the, the battery-operated lawnmower. And I got the battery-operated whippersnipper. And then I noticed that when I whippersnippered some of the, the edging, that some of the grass just stayed there. It's like, what am I going to do with grass just staying there? I need the blower. And so I got the battery-operated blower. And then I saw that I had, we had some like, small shrubs, and so I got these kind of like battery-operated like, electric shears. And so I, I decked it out in the, in the lawn maintenance niche. And you do that, don't you? When you, when you start to make somewhere you, your home, you start to accumulate these kind of possessions, these kinds of, of things to make it more and more comfortable for you. We invest where we live. We invest where we call home. And Peter's coming and telling us that, that actually this world is, is not our home. That actually, yes, we should invest in a way that we, that we seek its best, that we love our neighbours, yet we should far more so be investing in the world to come. That we far more should be investing in our home with God in heaven. And so we are connected and we are involved in this world, seeking its good, building a life here, but at the same time we're conscious of how the world is trying to be connected and involved in us. Knowing that our, our true life's not here, but in the life to come. And so if you're a Christian today, reflect on this. Is this how you see your life? Is this your worldview of your life in this world? If you're in Jesus, you have been cleansed, you have been washed, you've been sprinkled with His blood, you've been chosen by Him. And because of that, Jesus goes ahead of you to prepare a place for you in heaven. And so your address in exile might be where you live for now, 
that your home is in heaven. And some of us in this room will call ourselves Australian or Malaysian or South African or uh, American, but our strongest patriotism should be with God, our Father, in heaven. And it's as if, as Peter calls them this, he, he brings out this, this elect exiles language, it's as if even just bringing up all that's related to it, the, the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the Spirit, it starts to make him worship. And so as we move into the second paragraph, we see that, that Peter just kind of, he, he just bubbles up in worshipping. And so he starts his, his second paragraph where he's going to tell us that we've been born again to a living hope. He starts it like this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation mark. He starts to worship this God who has done this for us in Jesus. And he tells us more about that. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so Peter goes deep into these theological realities. And often in the, these letters in the New Testament particularly, they, they start out going deep into theological realities because our lives get shaped by these realities. And so later we're going to get into all these sorts of instructions and he gets really gritty about how we respond to uh, authority, how we respond to our bosses, how we respond to our spouses, how we respond to the world. He's going to get really gritty in how we should actually live our lives as Christians and we might be tempted when we get to those passages to forget. As if we think that these instructions, this kind of religious instruction is just kind of like for the religion's sake. But we need to remember that actually that flows out of these incredible realities. That the Christian life flows from what God has done for us. And so Christianity is not about what you or I do primarily, rather it's about what God has done for us. And so this is what Peter is starting out by telling us what God has done. And he starts by telling us that God has shown us mercy. Not just mercy, but he says great mercy. Because the Bible tells us that by nature and choice, you and me and all of us, we have ignored and rejected God. And in our ignorance and our rejection of God, it just shows the reality that by ourselves, apart from Him, we are actually spiritually dead. That we can't desire Him, we can't want Him. In Romans, it says that, that no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside and gone their own way. But God has shown us great mercy. That though we were spiritually dead, He has made us alive in Him. He has put a new heart that beats for Him, that desires Him, that wants Him into our, heart, into our souls. And He tells us, Peter tells us, and you should underline this, you should highlight, get the pen back out. It says, by God's mercy, He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope. You know, just like my physical birth, where thankfully I had nothing to do with, uh, I just came out kicking and screaming. In our, our spiritual birth, actually we have nothing ourselves to contribute to it, but we do perhaps come out kicking and screaming as we enter the kingdom. The 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards said, we contribute nothing to our salvation, but the sin which made it necessary. God is the one who did it. He has caused us to be born again. And so in and of ourselves, we, we were dead. 
in of ourselves, we are dead, but by God's mercy, He has us be born again to be made alive in Him. And because Jesus rose from the dead, no longer are we, we dead, but we're alive. And now we have not just a historical hope, not just a theoretical hope, not just a, mm, I'm not sure how the future's going to pan out kind of hope. We have a living hope. The heart of the Christian is pumping the blood of hope throughout all of our life. And so God has caused us to be born again. But I'm conscious, and I don't want to move past this, but for some of us in this room, God may not have caused us to be born again. But being in church this morning makes us a Christian just as much as standing in your garage makes you a car. Something needs to happen. God needs to cause us to be born again, to give us life, to give us a heart that longs for Him, that desires Him, that trusts in Him. And so if you have no desire for Jesus, if you have no longing for Jesus, no trust in Jesus, then come and pray that God would implant that in you. Pray that God would give you a new heart that beats for Him. Pray that God would see you desire Him, that you too might join us in having, come what may, a living hope a hope that looks beyond our circumstances, a hope that looks beyond our sin, a hope that looks to Jesus that has paid for it. God causes us to be born again. And then he goes on, and Peter starts just riffing on these these incredible gospel realities. He tells us in uh, verse 4 that we've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so he tells us that God is in heaven, our home is in heaven, and God is there waiting for us, keeping an inheritance for us, an inheritance that cannot fade, that far better than the the gold nugget that Zac Efron found that made him do whatever he could do to protect it and keep it, perhaps even unlike the inheritances that, that we're waiting for from our own parents that perhaps market volatility or rust, or thieves, or fraud might take from us. No, God is keeping for us an inheritance that is imperishable, that cannot be touched, that cannot be lost. It is assured. And then it gets, it gets better again in, in verse 5. He says, Who by God's power, that's you and me, the people Peter's writing to, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so get the chronology here. God has chosen us. God has had us be born again to a living hope. And now God is guarding us and our salvation until the end. You know, when we became Christians, we, we, we probably saw it as, you know, oh, I prayed a prayer or, or, or I made a decision. Yet behind it all, God was at work that God is at work in all of our lives. And we think, you know, beyond that initial conversion moment, the suffering that you go through, the, the times when you are led to ask, why God? The hardship that you're going to go for, the, the times where you feel like your faith is just hanging on by a thread, the times where you feel like you're going to pack it in and give it up, the moments perhaps even when you feel like you actually have and you've had a, a period or a season of a backsliddenness in your life. Yeah, that's what we see. But behind it all, for those who are His, God has, is guarding 
our faith. God is keeping our faith so that we might get home to Him and receive the inheritance that He keeps for us as well. So think about God's power that He is using for you and me right now. This is mind-blowing, incredible gospel realities here. How much power does God have? Well, Jesus says, none can snatch them out of my hand. God has us. God is keeping us. God is guarding us. And so in the midst, in the midst of this uh, reality, where salvation hasn't happened through us, but it has happened to us, where we've been born again to a living hope, where we're going and heading home, where we're going to receive an imperishable inheritance, as we read about Peter worshipping as he writes this, I haven't had many emails lately where I've been worshipping because of what I've been writing. Peter is, is worshipping as he writes this. We need to ask ourselves, do we feel that as well? Is, are these kind of realities as precious to us as Peter is behaving, is how precious they are to him? Does it, does it make us well up with joy, with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation mark. Does it do that in us as we think about this? And if not, we need to ask, well, where are we finding our treasure? What, what is most precious to us? Where do we find our home address? And so we continue reading, and, and Peter is going to encourage the people he's writing to and encourage us as well to, to join him in that worship Because he says in in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so Peter tells us that, that while exiled, our exiled life is, is here, we're going to face trial while we're in exile. There will be temptation, there will be pressures, there will be uh, raised eyebrows, there will be harassment, there will be a, a mild sense of peril. But he tells us that in the midst of those things as well, we can rejoice. Even the suffering that we feel, even the the pressure that we feel, even that is working for our good. Even that is is refining us, that we might be able to have a stronger faith, a a trust in Jesus all the more and push us closer to Him. Peter's telling us that that any suffering we feel is, is temporary, but glory is coming and it's forever. Exile that we feel, any distance we feel from our homeland is temporary, but we're going to be at home in heaven forever. And so the reality for the Christian is that we walk by faith for now. But one day, we're going to see Jesus face to face. One day, faith will turn into sight. And so Peter has dived into this here at the outset of this letter to to bring up the big idea that's going to be the thread throughout the whole of the book. He's telling us, and he's going to tell us, that that you and me are called as Christians because of these realities to use our time in exile as a time to give our lives in service, to give our lives in sacrifice, to give our lives in submission, 
and even if we have to face it in suffering. Because glory is coming. Because we're heading home to heaven with him. Because Jesus is better than what we experience in our life in the here and now. Now, I wonder when we did have that moment where we trusted in Jesus, where maybe we, 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 we prayed that prayer for the first time, maybe we asked someone to help us believe in Jesus or, or lead us through something. We felt like we were making a decision. I wonder if this is what we thought we were signing up to. You know, I used to go to a, a church that, that wrapped the message of Jesus in this kind of soft kind of prosperity gospel. You, know, you don't want to be too explicit and say that Jesus wants to make you rich. But you want to say something a little bit less than that, where, where Jesus wants you to fulfill your potential. Jesus will help you get your act together. Jesus will bless you with all the things of this world that you've been dreaming about having. And what the prosperity gospel is, is selling us is glory today. Glory right now. You get the glory by, by showing your, your neighbors that, that you could live life well and that you've got your life together. You can get glory by kind of driving a nicer car in front of the watching world. They might see that nicer car and go, ooh, that person's impressive. You get glory by, by looking the part and, and, and kind of beating the world at its own game of success and, and financial independence and all those sorts of things. And so it teaches us to find precious the things of this world. But Peter's Christianity here, and we're going to see this over the next 10 weeks, Peter's Christianity is a far cry from a lot of what goes on under the banner of Christianity today. See, his faith, his Christianity is one marked by Jesus in a way that our lives actually follow Jesus' life. See, Jesus came exiled from heaven down to us taking on flesh that he might walk with us, live with us, down from his home in heaven. And he lived a life of service, a life of sacrifice, a life of submission, a life uh, enduring suffering. And he did it all because he knew that glory awaited. Glory was coming. That he would be achieving glory for himself, but also for us. And so being an elect exile... Being a follower of Jesus means that nothing in this world is going to be more precious to us than the reality that He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That He has won for us an imperishable inheritance. That He is guarding our salvation until the end. That He's given us a faith to get to Him. That when He says, follow me, He means it. That we follow Him into service. That we follow Him into suffering, that we follow Him into awkward relationships as, as people kind of don't really get what we are living for, as we follow Him to the raised eyebrows when our gospel optimism rubs people the wrong way who have rejected it, as we follow Him into workplaces that, that perhaps they love your work, but maybe they, they give you a ribbing or they, they tease you about your faith. Jesus says, follow me, as He leads us into families that just completely don't get and perhaps treat us like the black sheep because we are standing for Him. Follow me, Jesus says. And He doesn't just mean it theoretically. Peter's going to lay it out for us in the weeks to come of what that looks like, the grittiness that it looks like to follow Him in a life like ours, in a world and society like ours. And so the gospel is going to give us that grit. These realities 
that he starts his book with, give us that grit to make it. But Peter's not finished. He's got one more little paragraph to go. And it's, a, it's an odd little paragraph. And one wonders why Peter was bringing it up now. Hopefully, we'll be able to see. Peter wants us to know that what he's telling us, what he's telling his elect exiles, is not kind of this new thing that he's making up. And so he points us back to the Old Testament. And he tells us that the Old Testament was actually good news for people like us. He says this in verse 10, Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." And so Peter says that, that hey, the, the details of what I'm telling you right now, the fact that, that Jesus was sent into the world, that Jesus would live for us, die for us, rise again, that he would have you be born again to a living hope, the fact that there's going to come times of suffering and yet that's going to be replaced by permanent, eternal glory, all that has actually been written about before. And it was written about by the prophets. And as they were writing it, they were kind of praying and inquiring, God, when are these things going to happen? When is all this going to take place? And it was revealed to them. They had the thought, they were answered those prayers that they weren't just writing for their audience in 1500 BC, 1000 BC. No, they were actually writing for the times to come. They were actually writing for times including ours today. But the whole plan of salvation, the life of Jesus as it was predicted and looked forward to, His life, death and resurrection, they were writing it for you and they were writing it for times like ours when we as Christians would would enter into public spaces with a bit of anxiety, a bit of nervousness about how we're going to be be treated. Times like ours where the world would, would, would seek to have us prioritize and find precious the things of the world, the the, the allure of it, the the temptation to to make the biggest deal in our life, our our bank balance or our career or our relationships that make temporary things the main thing. Well, actually, the Bible was written for us, that in the midst of times like ours, lives like ours, we might have this manifesto on living as elect exiles so that we would trust the promises, we would see the plan, we would see what's truly precious, we would know the details of our salvation and we'd look forward with a living hope to our home to come. And so if you're going to be an elect exile, one thing you need is the Bible. You need the Bible, which has been written for you. So let's land the plane here on this first chapter uh, by zooming out for a moment. God is trying in this first chapter through Peter to set our expectations aright. That life as a Christian in this world is going to come with drama, it's going to come with suffering, it's going to come with circumstances that don't sound like the the goodness and the glory that the, the Bible predicts us to have. Because it's telling us that for a temporary time, It's going to be hard. For a temporary time, it's going to be a struggle. For a temporary time, it's going to be a stretch. For a temporary time, we're going to have to walk by faith. But one day, one day, that seed of faith that we have right now is going to blossom into sight. 
And we're going to see Jesus. We're going to be with Jesus. And we're going to live with him forever. Our trials are temporary. Glory will be forever. And so we can rejoice. We can live our life rejoicing. Last week, I, I quoted uh, a man named John Newton. Uh, John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. Well, uh, in another place, he, he wrote uh, about a thought experiment that is helpful for every Christian to go through. He said, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a larger state. Maybe he's won the lottery. He's finally come into his inheritance with his uh, rich generational wealth. He says, suppose a man is going to New York to take up this large inheritance, this large estate, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out the remaining mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. Isn't something off with us if when our passions and our priorities and our plans and our reactions and our concerns as Christians centre on this world. When our complaints are fueled by things in this world not working out. Peter wants to wake us up and tell us we are on the way to eternal glory. We are on the way to no more tears, no more crying, no more pain to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That is where we are going. And we complain and we gripe about what we experience in this life. You know, in this life, we are going to experience some some peer pressure that we have to resist. We're going somewhere where every good desire of our hearts is going to be fully fulfilled. In this life, we are going to have some, some raised eyebrows and we're probably going to have to cop some, some straw manning of Christians in the media. We are going somewhere where even our own eyes are going to be permanently raised in awe at the glory we experience with Jesus. You know, in this life, we probably are going to have to experience some, some discomfort and perhaps forego all of those nice things that you perhaps see some of the people in your social circles having or, or that you would love to have that you give up as you live sacrificially for Jesus. We're going somewhere where our inheritance is being kept by God himself. And so Peter wants us to get the perspective of our hearts right this morning. And so question for reflection for the week, where is your home address? If you're online, don't post it in the chat. Where is your home address? Is your home address in heaven? Have you, have you been born again to this living hope that, that looks forward to coming home to Him? Or are you treating this world like it's your home? That this is all there is? That you better make the most of it while we're here. Based on your plans, your priorities, who you give your time and your energy to, what is it that's most precious to you? That when things are hard, when they're suffering, is it the things that you're losing that are most precious to you? Or like Peter, could we say, hey, actually, more precious than gold is the reality that in the midst of this circumstance, God is making me love Jesus more. You know, all of us are going to go through stuff. 
All of us are going to go through suffering. All of us are going to go through trial. And that's what we see. But behind it all, God is making us trust in Jesus more. And so let's live for our real address. Let's journey on our way home. And let the reality that we've looked at today keep us in this moment, that we might rejoice. So we're going to do that now uh, in song. Let's pray together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to your great mercy, Lord, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, your Son, from the dead. Lord, we thank you for the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, that you are keeping in heaven for us. We thank you, Lord, that by your power you are guarding us through faith for a salvation that we're going to experience in the last days. And so, Lord, we confess that in the midst of those realities, so often we aren't led to rejoice. Lord, we repent of the ways that we complain, that we gripe, that we see the temporary as permanent and what's truly permanent as theoretical. Lord, change our perspective this morning, that we might see ourselves as elect exiles, that purely according to your great mercy, you have called us out of our sin, you have cleansed us by your blood, you have made us sons and daughters of the living God. You have had us be born again and you have given us hope until we come home from you. Lord, help us live like that. Help us live in these days as if our home is not here but with you in heaven because it is. And so give us the grace that we need to endure suffering. Give us the grace we need to endure trial. Give us grace we need to resist temptation of making this world all that it is. Help us run home to you, we pray, with all that we have. And so in these 10 weeks, we commit ourselves to you and we ask that you would shape us and you would change us and you would give us a backbone and you'd give us the grit required to live as faithful elect exiles in our time and our place. Bless us and be with us, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.